Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Sarah Wilson has been described as a force of nature. She's a passionate activist that is taking the planet's future into her own hands. The multi-New York Times best-selling author's latest book, This One Wild and Precious Life, and her podcast, Wild, speaks of our longing to connect in our current climate. This episode is filled with information and actions that can help save our planet. So Sarah, you were the creator of the I Quit Sugar movement before you switched your focus onto climate change and our planet. Did you have a bit of a pivotal moment or an awakening that led you towards this shift? Well, yeah, I've been in the the climate kind of realm almost all my life. I grew up with parents who were alive to it, not so much because they were lefty, highly engaged and informed types. It was just because they had no money. And so frugality was part of the way we grew up. And as a result of that, we kind of, my brothers and I, my brothers, my sister and I, there's six of us, we we grew up with an awareness of resources. So we lived in the country you know, we saw things come into the house and then we had to do something with them, with the, the rubbish. And we didn't have a rubbish collection service. So we were alive to it all. We had goats for milk and meat. So we were aware of food wastage issues and mum and dad had no money. So everything, we just, we were aware of the cost of things. We were aware of the consumption cycle. The irony, of course, is that my career has been in highly consumer orientated spaces. I worked for News Limited. I was the editor of Cosmopolitan. And then, you know, the I Quit Sugar movement essentially, I guess, looked like a massive, you know, consumer campaign geared at, you know, making lots of money. But in fact, anyone who dug one layer deep in the program realises that, in fact, all of the recipes were zero food waste. There was a subliminal message there, which was just cook, respect food, use everything you've got. Don't buy packaged food. And in fact, the number one tip, really, if you want to cheat the whole I Quit Sugar program is just don't buy processed foods in packets. And so, yeah, it's always been there as the sort of the background soundtrack to my life. And I've brought it into everything I've done. And then, you know, as the climate information became more and more, I suppose, certain and we got the information coming, I realized that another education campaign had to be done. So, you know, when I was, I I quit sugar, I eventually decided that I would sell the business. And you might know this story, Lottie, I sold the business and sold off all the assets and gave it all to charity so that it could free me up to work on other projects. And the first one was a book about anxiety, but that then naturally progressed to a book about where we are at with the climate crisis and getting real to the truth of it and also finding a really spiritually and philosophically grounded approach to it all. Because if we don't find the spiritual and and sort of philosophical side to things, it doesn't gel. 
we can hear all the facts in the world, right? We can, we can be told that, you know, oh, we're, God, we're cruising to 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial temperatures. The oceans are rising. The polar bears are dying. We can hear all of that. But unless we feel captured at a sort of a philosophical or an emotional level, it just doesn't hit home, right? So yeah, that's what I've done with all of my projects, whether it's been sugar, whether it's been anxiety, whether it's been the climate crisis. It's always been about trying to get the information across in a way that humans find understandable. They go, all right, I get it. I want to be part of this. No, I really, I love the way that you've explained that because when I was kind of trying to think about all of the different topics that you cover in this one wild and precious life, it's everything from kind of the climate crisis to racial injustice and political polarizations, all of these things that you wouldn't normally put together. But I feel like the common theme in all of them is that everybody is just searching for something more. They're searching for a change. They're searching for a community or they're just searching for somebody that is like them and somebody who understands them. So I think it is amazing. And I think it almost humanizes all of these issues because I feel like you can talk about something like racial injustice, but then until you read the news and you see an individual that has suffered themselves from it, them telling their story, that's going to be the ones that kind of really resonate with people. And I love the way that you're doing that with climate as well in particular. Well, the common thread really is connection and the, the lack of connection we feel. And as you know, I break that down quite in, in quite a bit of detail at the front of the book that we don't feel there's a loneliness epidemic, right? And it's not so much that we feel lonely from each other because we're kind of more engaged across social media and all the activities we do. There's so much going on. So it's not so much a lack of connection with each other. The loneliness exists in our relationship with ourselves right? So we've departed from our sense of what matters. You know, we feel that we're not spiritually grounded. We we don't know what counts anymore. And we feel very ricocheted all around the place, right? And it was the same with sugar. With sugar, we get sucked up into an addiction and then we feel disconnected from our appetite system and our sense of health and well-being and longevity and vibrancy. We feel like we just feel there's no connection. We can't we can't grab at it and feel sturdy. It's the same with anxiety. Anxiety is a disconnection from a relationship with ourselves and I think the spiritual matrix. And with climate, it's a disconnection from the planet and the way that all the systems work. It's a disconnection from our place in the natural world. And we feel it, right? We feel like there's a lacking, a longing. You know, as you know, in the, in the book, I call it a something else. There's this itch. And we know we're complicit in it. We know that we get distracted by the phones and junk food and all the things, right? And buying stuff that we know is bad for the planet. We get sort of tugged away from what we know to be true. And that is a connection with, with everything. No, I think, again, you've just explained that so well. And I think one of the few positives about the pandemic was that whilst we were isolated from our family and friends, it was that yearning was almost stronger for everybody. It was that connection to nature that was the kind of, I don't know, the best part of people's days was getting outside or starting a garden again or starting to kind of really appreciate the food that they had at home and not waste it. Mm. It was a small sort of blip in our consumption um, trajectory and it would have been great if it lasted longer. So many of the listeners would know that CO2 levels did drop slightly 
Um, so it shows that it can be done, right? If we stop doing so much and consuming so much, but pretty soon everyone got into like online shopping and that whole thing went out the window. So look, I think what it did was expose a bunch of things, right? I think it held a mirror up to all the things that were making us unhappy. And we had a very brief experience. Those of us who were not frontline workers, of course, and those of us who, you know, were set up to be able to look after children, school children, and still be able to earn money. There were a lot of people who didn't, and they're not the ones that are generally, you know, speaking out on Twitter and, and TikTok and, and all of that kind of thing. They're generally, you know, got their sleeves rolled up in the trenches just trying to get life done. Um, so we, we need to remember that aspect of things. But, yeah, it was it was a brief interlude, and I would love to have thought that we would – would have hung on to that a little longer. And didn't we love all of those images of animals coming back in, you know, the rewilding of nature, you know, nature wins. And we love those images of people singing, you know, on the balconies and connecting in a beautiful, simple way. That to me just showed us how much we long for the real kind of connection that's true to the human spirit. And I would invite anyone listening to think about, you know, what aspects of all of that imagery and those experiences during the various lockdowns we had around the world, what parts of those would you like to have back in your life? Because you know what? It's mostly free. Most of the stuff we really want costs nothing. You know, a lot of people say to me, oh, you're so lucky, get to do all these things, you know. And I'm like, what are you talking about? The stuff that I, you know, I don't know project on social media and in my books and everything, it costs nothing. You know, I hike, it costs, you know, a train ride because I don't own a car, you know, it's it, my clothing. Um, I mean, I don't, it's a shirt I'm currently wearing. I think I bought when I was at Cosmo. So at least 15 years ago, and um, I'm also wearing the same shorts. I think both feature on the cover of at least three of my books. Um, you know, like they're threadbare, you know, they're torn everywhere. And, but, um, yeah, it's the way I live this way because it's easy. It's joyful. I'm not bogged down in going to shopping malls. I'm not bogged down in traffic because I've got a big cumbersome car. You know, for me, it's, it really isn't a big sacrifice. And it's easy, it's free. There kind of are no excuses for doing it apart from having the courage and the experimental, I don't know, playfulness to go, let's give this new way a go, you know, which sort of bucks the whole consumption cycle. Did you find it really difficult when you were working at News and in, at Cosmo? Did you find that you kind of, I don't know, fell into the consumption cycle or were you at the time trying to fight it as you were working there? Yeah, that's a really good question. And of course, I'm aware of it even today. Like I, I had to go up to a shopping mall and, you know, on the bus with my foster child um, yesterday to buy her school shoes and socks for school tomorrow. And she, you know, and of course, all of a sudden I'm aware of all the billboards and all of the shop windows that have things, shiny things like, oh, that's an interesting trend. I didn't realise they were back in again. And you wander around and you just bombarded. And I, I'm always aware how much there's something in me that gets sucked in, you know, the sort of egoic need for validation because everyone in the ads looks so happy, you know. So I've always been aware of that. But, yeah, my brothers and I talk about this sometimes. Like at the heart of it, we're lazy. 
we actually have worked out that going to the shops and trying things on and making decisions and trying to define your personality via the latest fad or whatever, it's exhausting and we can't be bothered and there's other things we'd rather do. And so if you step even to slightly out of that vortex, you miss out on all the messaging and the barraging and you can get on with a life that is really quite separate. So at Cosmo, for instance, obviously I had those images bombarding, you know, like just at me all day. But I suppose the extremeness of it meant that I was actually able to sort of see the misery that it brought and also how ridiculous the game was. Like, okay, the advertisers gave me a bunch of money to sell in their new L'Oreal long lash mascara or whatever it might be. And, you know, I'm like, it's a game. I've got to put this ad in and then people, you know, will do a certain thing. And then if it sells a bunch of stuff, then they'll come and advertise with us again. I just saw it as a system that was a bit of a joke. Like really it's, I describe it in this one wild and precious life. I describe capitalism as like a cult. And I don't know if you remember this book, this big in the book, Lottie, but I outline the definition of a cult and I match it up to the way that capitalism works. Like we honestly think it's the only system. We think it's always existed, that this is the one and only way to operate. Of course, the market will sort it out. You know, supply and demand, blah, blah, blah. You break it apart, it makes no sense. It doesn't bring us happiness and it keeps us in servitude, maybe not to a cult leader per se, but to these sort of cultish brands. And, you know, today the number of food brands and also multinational brands we're talking about a dozen or so brands that own everything else, you know. So there's only about, I don't know, 10, 12 cult leaders in the world and we, we subscribe to all of them. And that sounds pretty extreme, but I think in 2023, I think people are starting to get it. I don't know if you've watched Triangle of Sadness or The White Lotus. Both. I've watched The White Lotus, but I haven't watched Triangle of Sadness. Mm, I highly recommend it actually. Um, I think it's about to win some Oscars and things like that. But do look out for one, the Pandora as well. It's really interesting because it's a complete takedown of capitalism. And the White Lotus to a certain extent is as well. It's like, you know, absolute opulence and consumption is disgusting. And I think we're starting to realise that, you know. And so, yeah, when we start to sort of see things in that way, and, and I was seen at, at Cosmo, I was seen at working at News Limited, uh, I knew that I had... I had to have a job, you know, so I did my job, but within that framework, I did try to make a difference. And I did it mostly by living by my principles while doing the job. My clothes when I was at Cosmo were mostly secondhand. Still, I rode a bike to the office. I think I might've been the only editor in the whole building that did that. And I refused to be given things like handbags from the big brands. To this day, I've never owned a handbag. And, you know, I'm, I'm 49. That's quite a long innings. I, I can't imagine I will own one at this stage. No, it's really exciting. I feel like I was quite similar when I was working in magazines. I did two years without buying anything new. It was a bit of a social experiment. Mm. And I told, I think I told my colleagues nine months after I first started and said, I haven't purchased a single thing new this year and not one of you have noticed. Exactly. And it was just a really big kind of wake up call for everybody to go, nobody is looking at what you're wearing and nobody actually cares. You think that it's this kind of social pressure that you have to be wearing something new every day and what have you. And I was going, I wore a different earring 
and I to see the exact same outfit and everybody, nobody even kind of blinked an eyelid. But again, I had all of these questions about, do you miss shopping? Do you miss going to the mall? Do you miss like browsing online? And the amount of time that it saved was ridiculous, yeah. but you're, you're right. You are then more, so much more conscious to the messages that are coming out. And I think as well, particularly being in this space now, I'm so much more conscious about the overconsumption, the buy two, get one freeze, the buy one, get 50% off the next, this kind of, it's always, there's always something else. It's this added extra, this added bonus. And I think it's been really interesting to kind of see this shift as we see brands start to kind of try and take on more sustainable values in quotation marks there, like to kind of appeal to a customer's, I don't know, their conscience and their environmental conscience. So I think that's kind of the next element of it now it's kind of how do they continue this capitalism but also do it in a planet friendly way which is completely ridiculous but we're seeing it happen more and more you go to the supermarket and then half of the shelves now have got I don't know signage that's everything's brown or green or it's got eco on it or it's got green on it and I I kind of stand there looking at it going but how? Why? Why are you eco? Why are you green? How can you be sustainable, but then also be wrapped in plastic and contain palm oil? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's called greenwashing. And wonderfully, we've only had a real, a couple of years of it, and the brands are trying to grab onto it. But the ACCC here in Australia, but also some other bodies around the world, particularly in Europe, are clamping down on it. Like, they're not going to get away with it. So, while they're off doing that, spraying, you know, all kinds of slogans over their products and hoping that we fall for it. At the same time, I think all of the marketing, you know, companies and, and in-house marketing um, teams for these brands are really worried because it's, there's this real disconnect because they know they'll get caught out, if not by the ACCC, by people like you and I who call bullshit on it, right? Like they can't get away with it now. And fashion brands, I would argue, you know, if they're trying to say that they're sustainable, pretty much. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All of them are lying. There is no such thing as sustainable fashion. Now, yes, fashion is an important part of our lives and we need to wear something, but the line needs to be, you know, responsible fashion. So you buy, I always say shopping like the French is the way we need to be doing fashion shopping, which is to buy a few really uh, quality pieces per year. And if you have a look at French, at a French person's wardrobe, it's about a third of the size of ours. It's got a few, you know, beautiful jumpers, a suit or whatever it might be. And they have them for a very long time. So yeah, I think there's a lot of empowerment to be enjoyed in this process. That's how I see it. It's, it's the same with the I Quit Sugar program. So much of what got people enrolled and enthusiastic about quitting sugar was actually catching on to all the the tricks and ploys that the food industry tried to throw at them and that they now were alive to. And so, you know, I invite 
everyone to do the same with everything. Like get alive to all of these things and go, I am my own person. I will not buy into this. I'll buy it to it if it suits me and, and then I'll exit as soon as it looks ridiculous or it, or it doesn't, it doesn't thrill me or bring me charm, you know? So yeah, I think you're absolutely right. This greenwashing is a problem, but I see it as an opportunity for people to, I don't know, get onto it and kind of find it amusing and actually put the hand up to it and go, no, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be part of, I'm not going to be duped in that way. You know, I'm going to do it my own way. And gradually, gradually these brands will have to shift and only the true quality ones will survive. No, again, you're just playing that game, trying to mm. trick, see if you can get caught. Well, you don't want to get caught. See if you can't get caught by all of the greenwashing and see how you can kind of make it through that shop. But I think, as you said, also when it comes down to kind of grocery shopping and choosing the most sustainable options, it is choosing those raw unpackaged foods, which is going to be yeah. both better for your health, but also the planet's health as well. Oh, yeah. There's a win, 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 win scenario going on when you kind of catch on to all of this. When you buy real food, right, you've got to cook. And when you cook, you're engaged with the food. And so you don't waste as much and you're eating much better quality stuff. And then you lose weight and you don't have to worry about weight loss stuff. And then, you know, then you're able to do more exercise. And then you take on riding a bike to work instead of going to the gym and sitting on a stationary bike. And then you don't have a car. So you save about $35,000 a year. And then, you know, it just goes and you save so much time on a bike because you don't have to park to drop in at the post office. You can ride on the way and leave your bike out the front and and life enters this wonderful flow it it just makes so much sense and then you've got time to do all these things that you think you don't have time for like going for hikes on the weekend or having a picnic and just lying under a tree and staring up at the sky for a bit which we all long for you know and then you're not getting all the bombardment of messages because if you go to a supermarket or a grocery store that has fruit and veg if you go to the fruit and veg section you don't get all the ads you know, you don't get all the promotions. So but the promotions that you are getting are kind of you're shopping them what's in season, like the stone fruits on special because they're summer fruits and because there's an abundance there. right now. And Some things maximum, are going to be more expensive, but you shouldn't be having them right now. That's why. That's it. So um, you start to sort of save heaps of money, time, effort, um, angst, decision, anxiety, all of that stuff that bogs us down. It goes away. It's, it's, it's kind of like you mentioned before that, um, you know, I sort of play the game. I gamify it, right? I love, I think, you know, you might recall from my book, people say, how do you not shop? And I'm like, I simply don't go to the shops. And what I do is I gamify it. So I'll go, oh, I probably should buy a new pair of underpants. And then I go, well, let's see how long I can go without doing it. Right. And, and, you know, a week will go by and then another, and then another couple of weeks. And then I'll eventually get to the shops and I'll buy some underpants, but it just means that you, you put off because of course, when you go to a store or shopping mall, shopping begets shopping. You don't just go for underpants. You'll then end up buying, I don't know, a vegetable knife and an extra set of towels. And then you'll, you know, I don't know, some tea light candles, whatever. Right. So if you just gamify and put it all off and get on with other things and enjoy your weekends without having to find parking in shopping malls, it's actually quite wonderful. You get this sense that I'm beating the system, you know, I'm not getting sucked in. 
Definitely. I think one of the most dangerous shops are the quick stop shops because that's when you're kind of running in just to get that one thing that you're missing. You don't have a list and then you come out with kind of 10 different things that you don't particularly need, but they might have been on sale or you might go, oh, I think I might need that, but I'm not entirely sure. So no, I think gamifying it is definitely something that as someone who can be quite competitive loves to do as well. Oh, yeah. The A-types love doing it this way. Yeah, just, yeah, it is. It's it, and, and just see how much time you save, you know, for other things. Exactly. I actually sometimes get to my weekend and I'm like, there's literally nothing I need to do. You know, I don't own a lot of furniture. I don't own a lot of things. So I don't have to dust and tidy and organize and do clean outs. Oh my goodness. A number of my friends that spend their weekends doing clean outs and they tell me about it and sort of as though it's a badge of honor. Like I'm going to be really impressed that they're having to clean out and simplifying their lives. I'm like, no, don't, don't throw this stuff out. Just don't buy it in the first place. Use everything up, you know, every single bag that comes into my house. Like you get sent stuff that you don't necessarily you know, order or whatever. So I get these post bags. They're my bin liners, you know, like everything has to be used multiple, multiple times. And again, you gamify. It means, you know, I go to the supermarket less for a whole bunch of things because I'm repurposing stuff that gets sent into my house that I already own. Exactly. And one of the other things that I was just saying before this episode as well, that I love how positive your social media feed is. It's like a breath of fresh air. You're sharing funny videos and planet positive news and kind of pictures of you out on a hike and things like this. So I wanted to ask you one of the questions that I personally get asked a lot, and that is how are you feeling about the future? Are you positive? Are you excited? Are you scared? What What are you feeling? Mm. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, interesting. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that about sort of social media and the stuff that I do. I don't think about it too much. I try to share stuff that brings me joy. And that's not to say that it doesn't upset a lot of people. I still get a lot of people who are threatened by the messaging that I'm putting out there. So there's a lot of, oh, it's all very well for you or you're lucky you're allowed to do that. Again, I come back to most of the things I do cost nothing and um, don't impose on people. <laughs> But I think we're in this really interesting transition phase where if we're holding a mirror up to other people's sense that they're, they're not on the right track. They're doing the things that are not bringing them happiness and freedom. So anyway, do I have hope? I, I guess is what your question is. It's an interesting one. I'm not optimistic. However, I am hopeful and there is a big distinction. Optimism is a little bit like pessimism in the sense that you're living to this idea that everything will work itself out. Or in the case of pessimism, there's nothing we can do, so why bother, you know? And both of them are destructive. Hope, however, is optimism plus action. So there's no point being optimistic if we all sit back thinking that somebody else will fix the scenario and that it will magically work itself out. We've got to have action. Now, the sort of wonderful aspect to that part of the equation is that action is also the thing that gives your life meaning in the interim. So look, we might not make it. Humanity might not save this. We are cruising. I mean, Australia has now hit 1.47 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial temperatures. We're not going to make it under 1.5 by 2050 or by the end of this century, I should say. It's more going to be like two to three degrees. And that is bad. Like, let's not sugarcoat it. Life is not going to be as we had 
expected it to be. Life is not going to be as it is now. It is going to get more uncomfortable and all those weather patterns are going to get more and more volatile. The planet is unstable. We have done the damage. We're not going to be able to fix it. I hate to say it. However, while you're engaged in action, what actually happens is we actually lift our human spirit into the version of ourselves that we've always wanted to be. And so the the human experience that we're going to be able to have in this process, I think will be very nourishing. So that's the way I see it. I sort of explore all of this through the hiking around the world that I do to tell the story in this one wild and precious life. And at the end, I ask this question, should we have hope? What is hope? And one of the things I say is that we've also got to ask the question in the meantime, right? While we don't know, because we're sort of in purgatory. We really don't know how it's going to play out. And we're in um, a new era of abject uncertainty after living a bunch of decades, if not centuries, where we have tried to stamp things into the ground with certainty, right? We, we want to know what's happening. We can't deal with doubt. We don't like the discomfort of not knowing. So we're going to have to live with this incredible uncertainty. And what I try to do to calm people down is go, well, let's think about what we're going to do in the meantime in this weird transitory period where we don't know what's going to happen, which is pretty much ongoing. How do we want to live? Well, I would say we want to live the most fully and the most connected, in the most connected manner that we can. We want to live in congruence with other people and with the flow of life and with nature and the planet. And we want to actually be the best version of ourselves. The best versions of humans is when we are fired up, stepping up, putting skin in the game, caring and maxing this one wild and precious life. We've got 85 years or so on this planet. Like, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to watch Netflix? Are you going to chill out and avoid and be numb and distracted and never get to the stuff that really, really brings chunky goodness to your life? You know, or are you just, or are you going to go to the edge and are you going to try and are you going to roll your sleeves up and get exhausted and feel all the emotions? I choose the latter because that's precious. It's, it's what I'm here for. That's the only way I want to do life. No, that's definitely how I am doing life. But this leads on perfectly to my last question, which I ask all of our guests, but it seems particularly perfect for you. And that is, what is one actionable thing that our guests can do tomorrow to help save our planet? They're feeling inspired, they're excited, and that they're yeah rejuvenated by this conversation. But what's just one thing that they can do to help save the planet? Can I give two? Oh, like, is that so. cheating? All right. Well, I've kind of given away both of them already. So they're sort of half a tip each. The first would be hiking, just hike. So 45,000 studies have been done on the benefits of walking in nature. It sounds almost too stupidly simple to be true and effective, but it just works. So in Japan, in South Korea, their health programs operate around this idea that moving your body in nature does incredible things that even medication can't fix. So in South Korea, with kids that have behavioral problems, they send them out to a forest before they put them on ADHD medication. It's that sanctioned. And in my book, I cover off quite a number of different theories that show why if you just get out into nature, and even if it's just a local park, it will do its job. Just be in it, walking, At whatever pace, it will do its job. You don't even have to do anything else. I mean, listen to a podcast if you want to, I don't know, sort out a work problem on the phone as you're doing it, talk to your kids, whatever it is, 
It is the number one thing that will make you feel connected, feel better, less anxious, the whole thing. All right. So there's that, right? It's guaranteed. It will work. The second thing that I would say is focus on not wasting food. Now, you know, people go, are you kidding me? That just seems so ridiculous. Except that if food waste were a nation, it would be the third biggest um, CO2 emitter in the world after China and the US. We waste in Australia about a third of our food every week. If we halved our food waste, we would actually produce leave enough food to feed the entire world. And it would be the equivalent in CO2 savings of everyone switching to solar. So it is substantial. It is something that we can do. The food waste doesn't happen with the supermarkets or the farmers. It actually, we're talking about the food waste that happens with our consumption of food. It does include restaurants. So there's all kinds of things that we can do right now. And it's kind of infectious, as you know, probably from reading my book and from the way that I tell my stories on Instagram, I will eat other people's like spare food at restaurants, strangers. I take their butter home. I've even been known to take fish carcasses home and their big T-bone steak bones home and then return, arrange to meet them three days later with a big jar of bone broth made from their bones. And people go, oh my God, that's disgusting, except that I've just boiled the crap out of them for like, you know, 24, 48 hours. So, We can do stuff. We can be visual about it. And then I think that care begets care, just as shopping begets shopping. Care begets care. When we see other people caring and studies have been done to show that this is actually legit, we get an injection of have happiness and then we're inspired to do the same thing. So just start eating better. Just start not wasting your food. Use every last bit. And I'll plug a book that will help you out here. And as I say, I don't make money from my I Quit Sugar books, but my book, Simplicious Flow and Simplicious, they both have all the tips in the world for ensuring that you don't waste a single bit of food. And some of them are kind of cool things to do. They're really fun project, cooking projects with kids and that kind of stuff. They're whopping great books. Between them, they're over 500 recipes. So if you're wanting to get the information on what you can do to save pretty much every single type of skin, blah, 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 what to buy organic, what to peel and what not to peel. Like it's every single little food saving hack ever in those two books. Amazing. And I think from memory, you have a banana bread recipe that includes the skin (laughs) as well. Is that right? Mm. Well, when I was writing Simplicious Flow, which I set out for it to be the first ever fully zero food waste cookbook in the sense that no food was making in the production of the book. And I should say it took nine months for me to shoot that book because I had to keep absolutely everything. So when we made these wonderful muffins, you know, whatever wasn't eaten or whatever, I would freeze it. And then that would become the crumble for a peach tart that I had to make three months later when peaches came into season. So it was the biggest project of my life. But um, somebody challenged me, went, oh, I bet you have to throw out banana peels. I'm like, oh my God, I so do. What do you do with banana peels? So I went down the Googles and found all these different ways to use banana peels but then also made a recipe use for banana bread that uses the banana peel. So you chuck the whole banana in and the gumminess of the peel um, actually creates a wonderful texture. And if I was on a, a TV show, Annabelle Crabs, back in time for dinner. I don't know if you know that show, but the mother made a standard banana bread with, I kid you not, four cups of sugar in it. And then there was mine with the banana peel in it and the kids had to come home from school and taste both. 
they liked both. They didn't say mine was the best, but they also didn't say hers was the best. So um, there's ways and means to gamify everything, Lottie, and to fuck <laughs> That's exactly what I was about to say. That competitive streak is coming back out again. Thank yep. you so much for coming on the podcast today, Sarah. It has been so lovely chatting with you. Oh, well, thank you for all your work. And I'm so glad there's people out there who are really wanting to make this, this shift because it is a shift to the more fun way of living. Exactly. We're all winners, right? Even though it's a game, we're all winners. Win, 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 win. Exactly. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 